You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. What an incredible morning of Christ-exalting worship we've been able to enjoy together and so grateful uh, for them. And we want to welcome those who have joined us online. And church family, let's let them know how grateful we are that they're joining us online this morning. So grateful for you being with us today. It's going to be a great time. I just love when we gather together in unity. And I want to say just a special thank you because you're here on Labor Day weekend. You are the cream of the crop. You're the next level when it comes to devotion to the Lord and to Houston's first. So give yourselves a big hand right now. Would you do that? A big shout. So grateful for everyone in the house as well. Well, it is Labor Day weekend, and we're going to continue our series, True or False, and we're going to wrap it up here in just a moment. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you'll turn there. And what's so awesome about today is as I'm preaching live here at the Loop campus, we have Jason Swigert preaching live at the Cypress campus, and Malcolm Marshall preaching live at the Siena campus, and Leon Brooks preaching live at the downtown campus. And we are one church at four locations. And our focus, our passion is to fulfill the Great Commission in our generation. We're gathering our hearts, we're growing our souls, and then we're going to give our lives on mission with God. I thought yesterday was such a wonderful setup for today because yesterday was all about college football. We love Saturday, and I just love college football. And there are several games that I was looking forward to and keeping my eye on. And, and as you know, there were many games that were absolute total blowouts. You know, when you think of University of Texas, when you think of Texas A&M, when you think about the, the Cougars, you think about all these amazing schools. And if I didn't name your school, I'm about to let you name your school. If your school won yesterday, would you shout the name of your school? One, two, three. And if your team did not win, but you're still rooting for them, you're still believing God on their behalf. Would you shout the name of your school? One, two, three. Well, wow, that's taking a little bit longer than I thought it was going to take. The game I was most looking forward to all day long, the one I was dialed in on, was the one that featured a 20-point underdog traveling to go to another stadium to take on a team that was in the, in the national championship last year. There was no way they would even have a shot. But I wanted to watch because I love the underdog. Plus, I like Coach Prime. He's got swag. He's got rhythm. And Coach Prime took a program that had multiple losing seasons, made some radical decisions, and then went to town to take on TCU. And it was a battle. It was a fight every single minute, back and forth, back and forth. And you're like, where's this going to land? And then near the end of the game, TCU came through, and you're like, okay, I'm about to turn the TV off, but let me just wait just in case. Have you ever had one of those just-in-case moments in your life? Well, let's just, let's just wait a moment just in case. Well, let's just hang out a moment just in case. And I'm so thankful we kept it going because Coach Prime, his son, and then number 12, pulled it together with the team, and they brought the victory 45 to 42. Now, if you're with TCU, God still loves you. We're for you. But I've got to build this 
because of where we're going in the message today. They won the victory even though they were the underdog. Let me make an announcement. As Christians, as believers, we are deemed in this world as the underdog. But I've come to announce to you this morning, God's called us to fight the good fight. And it's going to be a fight. When you make a decision that you're going to follow Jesus Christ, when you make a decision that you're going to laser focus your life on God's agenda, you can anticipate opposition. You can anticipate that not everybody is going to be with you or for you. There are going to be seasons in your Christian journey where you feel like you're swimming upstream. If you're in that season, you're at a good place. Because my Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. Are you ready to fight the good fight? We're going to dive into God's word together. And remember, life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. And what we learned yesterday from that one game is that you've got to fight the fight all four quarters of your life. Don't let up. First Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at three verses. You know what that means? We're diving in. Here we go. Look with me, verse 18. This is Paul writing to his protege. He's been investing in Timothy. Now he has positioned Timothy as a pastor at Ephesus. Verse 18, when you're there, say amen. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. So that, and here's what I want you to underline, by recalling them, key phrase, by recalling them, you might fight the good fight. Now, what I want to give you this morning in your notes, three victory habits, three victory habits. I don't only want us to walk in victory. I want us to finish in victory. So here's victory habit number one, revisit seasons of clarity to ignite your courage during waves of intensity. Right now, some of you are going through a wave of intensity. Your life has never been at the octane level it's at right now. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel overcommitted. Maybe you feel depleted. And you've never felt such a steep climb in your life. Maybe that's the season you're in. There's a season of intensity. Maybe it's beginning a new school year and you're overwhelmed by the syllabus. How am I going to get all of this done? Maybe you've started a new job and you're learning a new ecosystem and you're wondering, how am I going to connect here? They don't know me like the previous people knew me. How am I going to get acclimated to this new environment? So you're in a season of intensity. But for some of you, it's a wave of ambiguity. It's a time in your life where things aren't clear. Maybe it's foggy and you're just asking God for the fog to lift so that you can see your way through where God wants you to go. So maybe for you, it's ambiguity. Maybe for you, it's a wave of confusion where you're just so confused and you just have no idea what your next step should be. There's different levels of intensity. There's different waves that come our way, but here's where I want you to go revisit those seasons of clarity. That's where you gain courage. That's where you're reminded that God is faithful. 
and that anything over your head is beneath his feet. God's got you. God created you. God knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now look to your neighbor and say, that was you. Go ahead. Now notice in our passage here, Paul encouraged Timothy to review spiritual markers. Now why is that so important for Timothy? Well, first of all, Timothy's a young man. And Timothy has been placed in a difficult city. Ephesus, as Pastor Greg has already given us a tremendous overview of what it would have been like to pastor in that sin city. Timothy is young. He hadn't built up his confidence yet. We're going to learn that in a few weeks where he, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set the example in speech and life and love and faith and purity. But for now, he's encouraging Timothy, revisit your seasons of clarity. Revisit your spiritual markers. We find in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy, that is divine, with the laying of hands by the council of elders. So Paul is reminding Timothy to revisit your ordination, your affirmation. When the body of elders were laying hands on you and prophesying over you and drawing out the gifts God had put inside of you, revisit that spiritual marker. When we set you apart for ministry, when we called out things we saw in you that God had planted inside of you, don't you love it when God puts somebody in your life who believes in you more than you believe in you? That's exactly what's happening here. God is setting Timothy apart and using Paul to affirm him in this new assignment that is a God-sized assignment. I know in my own journey, I love to revisit my spiritual markers. Right now, I have this five-year journal that I write in every single morning, and right now I'm in year four. So when I wake up, I read what happened three years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, a year ago, and what's going on today? And I'm able to trace God's hand of providence. I love to revisit my day of salvation, March 28, 1979. Most of you weren't born then, but I was born again then on that very day. It was my divine transaction when I came to understand the love of God for me in Jesus Christ. And I turned from my sin and trusted in Jesus alone for salvation and became a full court follower of Jesus Christ. And then a month later, I was baptized on April 20th, 1979. That became a spiritual marker for me, something I revisit often when I made my, my profession of faith public to the congregation to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And you'll have that opportunity, if you haven't, coming up on October 8th on our day of baptism. It became a spiritual marker for me and one that I revisit often. My call to ministry my junior year in high school when I had a jet ski accident and I was on my deathbed and on that very night when the doctor, the surgeon who was a deacon in our church came into the waiting room and told my family, he's not going to make it through the night. And it was that night that God called me to preach. God set me apart. God affirmed me. And when I went to meet with my pastor, he was just as shocked as I was that God had called me to preach. And you know that where God guides, he always provides. 
He just wants you to bring the five loaves and two fish that he's given you and watch him multiply it for his glory. You just bring Jesus what you have. So that's a spiritual marker for me. My marriage to Tanya is a major spiritual marker when two become one and we committed our lives before God in covenant relationship with each other and we're celebrating 32 years and eight months of marriage. And you know how it is in marriage. The Holy Spirit's always speaking. If you miss him, I hear Tanya. They're always in alignment. And then when I held my daughter, who's right here, Tori, for the first time, my own flesh and blood, major spiritual marker, when I became a dad. And five years later, when I held my son, Austin, Stephen Austin, saw my own flesh and blood, major spiritual marker. And the different transitions we've experienced pastoring for 20 years in Louisiana, coming to Texas almost 17 years ago to become an executive pastor and been here at Houston's First for two years as your executive pastor. These are major spiritual moments that I revisit because there's seasons of clarity where God was so clear, where God was so real, and God made it so obvious, this is your next step. And Paul is telling Timothy, revisit those spiritual markers. Revisit those seasons of clarity to ignite your courage during waves of intensity. I want you to write this down, the wonderful quote from Pastor Greg two weeks ago. Know well who and whose you are. Isn't that a great word? Know who and whose you are. Here's the application I want you to write in your notes. The rear view mirror of God's faithfulness will inspire you for the windshield adventure that awaits you. Now, I want you to lean into that. What God is calling us to do, especially when you go through waves of intensity, waves of ambiguity, waves of confusion, is to look at the rearview mirror of God's faithfulness. Revisit where God showed up. Revisit in your journey when there was, you're in the fourth quarter with a few seconds left and God showed up, God came through. Revisit those major moments in your life and it will give you courage to endure the waves of intensity, ambiguity, and confusion. And then you anticipate this windshield adventure. But I want to remind you as you move forward in life, you're in a fallen and broken world. You will have lug bugs on the windshield. So what kind of waves are you facing? Waves of intensity? Waves of ambiguity? Waves of confusion? I want to challenge you to revisit those seasons of your journey when you had clarity. And you just have to have a moment before God and be reminded that I am a child of God. I am who God says I am. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new is coming. You've just got to declare, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you make a bold declaration before God that my God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Walk that out as you revisit seasons of clarity.
Here's victory habit number two. We pick up in verse 18b. So that be recalling them. By recalling what? Those affirmations, those seasons of clarity, recalling those spiritual victories in your life, those spiritual markers. By recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Here's victory habit number two. Transfer from cruise ship Christianity to become a battleship believer. Now look to your neighbor and say, be ready. He's about to preach. There is something about the church of our modern day that we have repositioned ourselves as a cruise ship. And we are trying to build bridges to our community to say to them, it's all about you. You come to our church and we'll do everything for you. We'll pave the way and we're going to make it so soothing, so pleasant, so wonderful for you. And then we have people who come to church and they become myopic, thinking that the church exists for their every single need instead of, wait a minute. God's called us to be soldiers in the Lord's army. God's called us not to be cruise ship Christians, but to be battleship believers. We're called to warfare. And we've got to be ready for battle. Every moment you're breathing, every moment your heart is beating, every day you wake up, you are walking into a major battlefield. It's the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And Satan cannot attack God, so he attacks that which is closest to the heart of God, God's children. And as of this moment, Satan is the ruler of this world, but he knows his time is limited. And we know we're living in the end times. And that's why he's turning up the heat. He's turning up the intensity. And I want to say to you, you've got to put on the full armor of God. The helmet of salvation, protect your mind. The breastplate of righteousness, protect your heart. The belt of truth, your feet need to have the, the, the cleats that to keep you grounded. Your feet are fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then the shield of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're extinguishing the flaming arrows of the evil one. And we take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we pray in the spirit on all occasions. It doesn't mean we're speaking in tongues. It means we're praying according to God's will, God's way, and God's word. We're praying, we're believing, and we're walking in victory. And we're not running from the enemy. We're running into battle because we are covered by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Paul encouraged Timothy to fight the good fight. In chapter 6, verse 12, he said, fight the good fight of the faith. In chapter 2, verses, uh, chapter uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7, verse we hear often at funerals, I have fought the good fight, Paul says. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that's my prayer over us, that we'll be able to say that. And Paul reminded Timothy about the fuel for fighting the good fight. First of all, he acknowledged there's a fight. We're in a spiritual battle. That's why you feel the way you feel. That's why there's times in your life you're like, I just, I just don't feel settled. Are we ever going to feel settled? We're not home yet. We're not in heaven yet. 
You're not made for this world. You're made for eternity. We're just passing through to take as many people to heaven as we can while we're on earth. That's why we're, our passion is to depopulate hell and to populate heaven. And when you make a decision to do that with your life, you can anticipate the enemy's opposition. And then Paul says, here's what fuels the good fight. Now, let's move into boxing for a moment. We've been on the battleship. Some of you are still on a cruise ship. I'm going to invite you to come to the battleship before the service is over. But let's go to a boxing match. Think about the boxing match that comes to your mind. The one I go back to as a teenager was Mike Tyson taking on Evander Holyfield. Whoa! And Evander Holyfield was bowing up on Mike Tyson, which had not been done. So Mike Tyson locks up with him, and I thought he was giving him a little peck, a little kiss on the cheek. Mike Tyson bit off the top of Evander's ear. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, look, Jesus put the ear back on the servant in the Garden of Eden. I mean, Garden of Gethsemane, probably did that in Eden for somebody, but Garden of Gethsemane. But that moment in boxing was priceless. Here's what Paul is saying. Put on the glove of faith. And that speaks of sound doctrine. That's why we need to know God's word, study God's word, and apply God's word. That's why we have life Bible study. That's why we have Bible studies throughout the week. That's why we have mid-link on Wednesday nights. It's to give you sound doctrine. That's why we preach from the Bible and only from the Bible, God's Word. That's sound doctrine, faith. The other glove is a good conscience. Now, the challenge with a conscience is you can have a seared conscience where you get numb. I know when I play golf uh, you know, more frequently, I, I start to get calluses that develop on my hands. And you can literally take a needle and stick it through the callus and not feel it. And your heart can become like that calloused towards sin. And that's called a calloused conscience. Then you can have what's called a hypersensitive conscience. Where did I offend you? I'm sorry, did I offend you? I walked down the aisle a little fast. You probably smell my cologne. Was it disruptive during the prayer? That's called a hypersensitive conscience. What we're looking for to walk in victory and to finish strong is we want an informed conscience. Informed not by our feelings, because sometimes you have to inform your feelings. But our conscience is informed by the Word of God. And that's why we spend so much time living in the Word of God, reading and feeding on God's Word. John MacArthur said, a good conscience is the rudder that steers the Christian life. Alistair McGrath said, if we want to reach the port with our faith in one piece, we should pilot our course with a good conscience or else we are liable to be shipwrecked. Several years ago, Tanya and I went on our first cruise and I didn't really know what to think about it. I love to go skiing. I grew up racing motocross and jet skis and BMX and a cruise sounded like so chill. Till I got on the ship and saw all the buffets. <laughs> you know the saying, when Baptists meet, Baptists eat. It's barbells in the morning, bluebell at night. That's how we roll. 
So we go on this cruise, and it was just so amazing, so beautiful. The weather was incredible. And what I loved about it, whenever anywhere you'd go on either any level of the ship, you could be by the pool and they have a buffet. Anywhere you go, food, desserts. It was just wonderful. When you go back to your room, you don't lift a finger. You go back to your room, somebody's already detailed it for you. And they even took your towel, gave you a new towel, and they created a little animal that says, hey, glad you're back. I mean, it's an amazing experience. So that night, we get all dressed up. We go get our picture made like we were at prom. Literally, it was so much fun. They do a little editing to make me look tanner and thinner. I like that part too. (laughs) We get to dinner. And we got to know some new people at our table, and it was a really special time. The waiter comes up and says, sir, would you like steak or lobster? And I said, yes. (laughs) That's a cruise. And I think in the Church of the Living God, we've been operating at that level so long that we have forgotten that we are to be battleship believers. So I'm going to challenge you this morning to deboard the cruise ship and to board the battleship. As Warren Wiersbe said so well, the Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground, and we must be on our guard at all times. It's a battle. And we have to fight the good fight. You've got to fight to stay positive. You've got to fight to stay clean. You've got to, you've got to fight to stay hungry for the things of God. You've got to fight to carve out space to have intimacy with God and to really go before the Lord in prayer and agony before God. You've got to fight for that. Fight the good fight. Being a battleship believers means that you're living your life to honor God and to benefit others. Being a battleship believer means you are willing to advance through adversity. Being a battleship believer means you will stay focused on the mission. Being salt and light in a dark and decaying world. So what is a true-false connection here in our passage? Notice Timothy is called to defend the faith. Paul tells him in chapter 1, command certain men not to teach false doctrine. So his ministry was a ministry of confrontation. And fighting the good fight for you may be when you go to work. Not tomorrow, it's Labor Day, but Tuesday morning. When you go to work, that may be your battlefield. Let it become your mission field. Maybe for you, it's when you go to school. That becomes your battlefield. Maybe for you, it's when you're part of the homeschool collaboration. And you get with other homeschoolers. And for you, it's a battle. Maybe for you, you're in transition and you've left one career and you're in the Jordan River right now wondering, what's next for me? And your battle is wondering what's next. And what do I do while I'm waiting? For some of you, your battle is when you go home. And for some, you're fighting yourself. Tanya and I taught Tori and Austin as they were growing up, know how to be with people. When you meet someone, look them in the eye and shake their hand firmly because we meet lots of people in the Trammell family. 
but we want you to also know how to be alone because you're going to spend the majority of your life with you. And sometimes your greatest battle is not others. Your greatest battle is you. Fight the good fight. It's worth the fight. Now look at our action point here. Everybody with me say amen. Amen. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. So would you be willing to deboard the cruise ship of Christianity to become a battleship believer? Would you be willing to put on the full armor of God and become a soldier in the Lord's army? Now look at verse 19. We're going to wrap up. Paul says to Timothy, which some have rejected, faith in a good conscience, that sound doctrine, and among them, notice, rejected and have shipwrecked their faith, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Here's victory habit number three. Avoid shipwrecking your faith by doing life God's way. Avoid shipwrecking your faith by doing life God's way. Paul warned Timothy about the consequences of drifting from God. The consequences of neglecting the faith. And the main point is this, doctrinal drift can shipwreck your faith. As Chuck Swindle said so correctly, we have a written record of those who have shipwrecked their faith. It's throughout God's word. As testimonies to us to learn from their mistakes. When we make a mistake and learn from it, that's called knowledge. When someone else makes a mistake and we learn from their mistake, that's called wisdom. And so Paul identified Hymenaeus and Alexander. Both had shipwrecked their faith. What Kay Larson said is so profound. Shipwreck comes to people who throw away their moral and spiritual compass, the prophecies and truth given by God for our fight of faith. Now, I, don't have, I can't do a deep dive on this concept of Paul delivering them over to Satan, but I'm going to give you a funny moment, then give you an illustration to pull it all together. So, when Pastor Malcolm, Pastor Jason, Pastor Leon, and I were sermoneering together to build this message together, so much fun to collaborate. And I had fun with them because I'd already built it out initially for us to walk through and to, to, you know, to, to build out together, but just built a framework. And I said, now guys, here's the message title, Delivering Difficult People Over to Satan. <laughs> Pastor Leon from downtown came and said, oh, okay, okay. Okay, I'm like, I'm just picking. (laughs) We'll preach on fighting the good fight, but we're going to deal with delivering people over to Satan. And what is taking place is you have Hymenaeus and Alexander. They're named in other parts of the Bible. We're not sure it's the same individuals, but Paul identifies them here for Timothy to say, I've already handed them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. What Paul is saying to Timothy is your assignment is to confront certain men not to teach false doctrine. Just know I've already dealt with two of them. 
And here's the picture I want you to remember, okay? Matthew 18. You go to a person one-on-one. The goal is restoration, repentance, brokenness, humility, but restoration. If they do not repent, go two-on-one. Brokenness, humility, restoration, repentance. If they do not repent, go church-on-one. If they Remember, the goal is reconciliation, restoration, brokenness, humility, but we want repentance. If no repentance, then you hand them over. Here's what it means. I almost, I almost had a large poolside umbrella brought to the stage, but I know some of you are superstitious. If I would have opened up an umbrella in the house, you would have gone, something's going to happen. So I didn't do that but I wanted to. But I want you to picture this big umbrella. And what it visualizes for us in pictures is the church of the living God. We have the body of Christ globally and then the local expression called Houston's First Baptist. So we have this umbrella where we are now part of the family of God. We have become members of Houston's First Baptist. We are a spiritual family being expressed at Houston's First Baptist. We're under this umbrella of protection, of accountability, of authentic community. We're doing life together. We're growing together. We're gathering our hearts, growing our souls, giving our lives as we fulfill the Great Commission. So we're in unity. When a false teacher enters the flock or a person in the flock drifts toward heresy, false teaching, false doctrine, then we as leaders of the church have to step in to protect the flock. And so we go one-on-one, two-on-one, church-on-one. Then if there's not brokenness, repentance, we invite them to go to another church. There's 425,000 churches in America. You do not have to be at Houston's First Baptist. You're supposed to laugh right there, but you're afraid to. I get it. (laughs) Our goal is restoration, healing, brokenness, come back to the truth. But we're not going to allow you to stay in the house and sow discord and disharmony and poison the unity and integrity of the flock. Same thing happened in my family growing up. Mother, father, older brother, me. When my dad turned to alcohol to anesthetize his pain, it violated the sanctity of our home. And when he drank, he became very abusive dangerous. And my mother had to draw the line in the sand to protect the home and our lives and thus divorce my dad. Why? So that my brother and I would still be alive. The beautiful portrait is Before my dad died and took his last breath, my mother was rubbing his chest and wiping his face. She walked him home to heaven because her heart was restoration, reconciliation. But she loved us so much, she wouldn't allow him to violate our home and to threaten our lives. The point is always for restoration and healing. But sometimes you have to practice tough love. Here's our action step at the end. God's way is always the best way. 
You can never go wrong doing right. Do you believe that? You can never go wrong doing right. And if you are far from God, the best decision you can make is run from sin and you run to Jesus Christ. If you have shipwrecked your faith, there is grace for every step of the race. Motel 6 didn't come up with, we'll leave the light on for you. Jesus came up with that. That even when you drift far from God, he's going to leave the light on for you because he wants you to come back home. He wants you to be restored. He wants you to be fully made whole. He wants you to experience his love, his grace, his sufficiency. It wasn't about you to begin with. You didn't bring anything to the table. We were just tissue paper before a holy God. He came to our rescue, invited us into his family, and he made the decision to leave the glory of heaven and come to this sin-infested earth to address our mess and then invite us into his forever story to be with him for all eternity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But yet... But yet, we live in a broken world, on a fallen planet, 8 billion people now. And there is shipwreck all around us. The greatest shipwreck in history was the unsinkable ship, the Titanic. The unsinkable ship was taken out by an iceberg. A total of 1,503 people did not make it onto a lifeboat. 705 people did. And I've come to announce to you this beautiful day that Jesus is a lifeboat. And he'll come to where you are. You don't swim to him. He's already built the ultimate love bridge to you. He is the lifeboat. And he'll come to where you are. An old hymn I grew up on. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. What about you? Are you ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you ready to run from your sin and run to Jesus? Have you shipwrecked your faith? You are positioned for an amazing dispensing of the grace of God. There's no one beyond the reach of God's grace. Mercy came running like a prisoner set free. What about you? There's room for you and me. Father, we thank you for our precious time together. Jesus, thank you for being the lifeboat. And I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit as we give a public invitation that you'll draw those who are watching us online. Lord, I pray that they'll give their lives to you, Jesus. I pray that those who've been far from you will come back to you, Lord, and come back home. And I pray for those inside the room here, Lord, what a beautiful worship center. We've been so blessed to be together, to worship you, to hear God's word taught and preached. And Holy Spirit, that you would draw us. Would you just identify any areas of our life that are out of alignment 
Anything that needs attention, Lord, anything we need to confess to you and place beneath the shed blood of Jesus, Lord, give us courage to do that. And then, Lord, help us to fight the good fight with faith and a good conscience. Thank you for making a way when there seemed to be no way because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.